Welcome back to the Emergency Power Podcast. You've gone and made it through another week, and I'm so dang proud of you. So sit on down in Granddad's easy chair, grab some warm tea and the hard candy I left you, and let's listen up for story time, where I'll be doing this voice the entire time, because everyone loves it. No! <laughs> Make sure and eat one of these oranges now so you don't get the scurvy. <laughs> you like popsicles? Oh, I no. got a whole freezer full of popsicles down in this the cellar. This trade so quickly, so fast. <laughs> it's your own damn fault. That's all I can think about I when I hear it. Two silly voices. High pitched old man voice. <laughs> Okay, so in case you don't know what's going on here, maybe you didn't see the title of this episode, this is a season two recap episode. Woo! Surely not. If you wanted to jump in here, maybe you don't want to commit to like 50 episodes or something. <laughs> and you can who can blame you? Yeah, right? I've got a recap I'm going to do. It'll help not only you guys, but the players here, because a lot of things happen. I make my stories very complex, probably unnecessarily so. No. And once that's done, then we can talk about all the things and the what I definitely forgot to mention or your favorite parts and all that kind of stuff. Excellent. I'm ready because uh, I, I feel like my notes were a lot more lacking this season than the first one. <laughs> Feel like i missed things like little little nuances so i'm very grateful for adam for prompting us and giving us things to react to here because i did find myself having some suspicious gaps in my memory earlier today as i attempted to retread this it's like and yeah. at this point i was that's a robot trauma that's things you try to block out uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> why don't i go ahead and kick this thing off it's gonna be a Ye- bit of an exposition So, everybody sit on down, like I said, grab some warm tea and those hard candies. Grab something a little stronger than warm (laughs) tea. No, 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 I need you to remember the recap after the recap's done. Nope. (laughs) I'm going to forget it all immediately. Uh, I don't want to do a recap recap. Too bad. (laughs) I'll just keep condensing it down until it's like three sentences long. (laughs) I will say some of our best episodes that we've ever recorded are the ones where Jeff is completely drunk. And, you know, <laughs> listeners, if you can figure out which ones they are, let us know. We'll send you some trading cards. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, which we are sending out, by the way. Check us out on Twitter at emergencypwrpod. Yeah, I'm collectible. Yeah, we've got Pawns, we've got Script, we've got 5e, everyone's favorites from the original crew. Okay, let's go ahead and get this going, shall we? Let's do it! When we last opened on the Tomes of Emergency Power, Volume 2, it alighted upon Script, Pawns, and 5e escaping from the domed city of Io. They borrowed the last remaining ship of Swarkis Gore, the Overground Vesk, to go toe-to-toe against a corrupted SRO unit that had also happened to corrupt another SRO unit that we know, and had also spirited away Captain Isben Espa. After a grueling sky combat, they managed to take the ship down, reclaim Isben Espa, and make good their escape, but not before Unit S3 made theirs. Needing some downtime after all these difficulties they experienced in season one, I mean Io, <laughs> they hunkered down in the desert town, one they had found out in the middle of nowhere, to make a few repairs, some ship upgrades, and decide a plan of action. One part of this was retrieving the priest of the upgraded Church of Triune, Semi Saint Victor, who barely was shot at all in the attempt. <laughs> Following that, 
Much to the space goblin Uzi's dismay, they chose to approach the main goblin camp, hidden in the desert dunes. Donning bone armor and a new name for the ship, the Second Hand, they promptly went over, kicked the doors down, and challenged the Wasties' mega chief for his throne. Yes. Two goblins enter, one goblin leaves, or more like just a gang of goblins. An SRO Yasoki contemplative ding dang troll entered the blood ring and then had a royal rumble. And Uzi is declared the new mega chief while the old guy gets eaten by a troll. The second hand barely even gets a two day long party. Like they barely get to party. They barely get showered with trinkets or get accepted into the goblin clan before Mega Chief Uzi shows them this old military satellite dish that had been hidden away here. A dish that scans the system to reveal a giant ass ring at the bottom of the ocean. Is that a thing, Adam? No. Ahem. It's a, and giant you know. it's a giant ass ring. <laughs> yeah. a giant ass ring. That's not a not a sex toy. Oh. <laughs> just, just confirming. You no, know that can't be left alone. So the crew builds themselves a little submarine and put 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 their way down before getting pulled way down by the current through a long tunnel into the other side. Suddenly having no comms to the ship or anyone for that matter, they follow a lone beacon, transferring themselves over to a sunken ship which seems to be sending the signal. They are treated to a super chipper, hardly depressing set of audio logs by a starving man trapped on what he has called a water world. That's right, unbeknownst to the second hand crew, the ring has actually been a gate to another world within the system. Largely unbeknownst because their GM did a really bad job of explaining that. <laughs> Some of us might have just learned that information, actually. <laughs> off screen when he told them because it didn't come across at all. <laughs> Soon after that, they encountered the underwater creatures known only as the Oleron, lionfish-like people who had a broken form of telepathy that gravitated towards pawns due to his mental powers. Their crew learned that a very powerful being had come through one of these massive rings. They had attempted to parlay with the Oleron people, but were accosted by a gargantuan underwater beast, which absconded with one of their hands. Take a wild guess where the second hand crew went next. They boogie boarded their way inside the beast through what amounted to breathing tubes, past detritus mashers, past boulders big enough to crush any good archeologist, and through to a chamber which fortunately offered a brief respite. From there, they found a Cylan crew turned to stone, likely by a pretty glowing gem in the middle of the room. They felt it safer to leave it completely alone and not touch it because... Scriff, 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 no, nope. no, it's fine. Wait, I, it just, it's so it's just so shiny. I just, I'm gonna take this. I'm going to put it into my armor later. No, no, you don't. <laughs> As the statues begin to come alive, and combat ensues. Then, once acquiring the shiny, they're on their way to the stomach where the hand must surely lay. Just on the other side of a pool of acid, inside a giant diamond. But no worries, the second hand crew has a plan. They'll just blow it up. Easy. Ah, <laughs> Until the diamond stood up and start trying to murder them with a blade and a claw and a club fist. After a hard-fought, explosive battle, the crew reveled in their newfound riches and retrieved the 
being's hand. And there was much rejoicing. (laughs) But the GM can't let a win go unpunished. No, sir. And by his wrath, through this water park's worth of deadly acid traps, and yet still they survive, which is rather disheartening. Climbing their way out of the beast, they are grabbed up by Isbin Espa on the second hand and brought back to the Wasties clan home base, where they find Swarkus Gore and the crew's new friend, Gludge the Troll, going mano y mano in the arena. Breaking up the fight, the second hand crew hears the story of the now disenfranchised Vesk about the attack made by the Cylan Royal Guards, about his captured soldiers, which were likely taken to the Cylan's prison warship. It may even be where Gludge's missing mate is. A shaky pact is made and Swarkus has joined the fight. And none too soon, as it seems that very ship is coming this way to bomb the crap out of the desert and drive the second-hand crew out of hiding. With no time to lose, everyone gets to work. Scriff completes his long-awaited power armor. Yes. Yes. The crew does an operation to attach the being's hand to Isbin Espa. It's ethically okay, don't worry about it. Who sits up and suddenly claims that she can help bring 5e's memory back. What? So as a detour, the crew VRs into 5e's memories and start battling through his demons. Literally. And when the smoke clears, they find themselves in a true memory. A memory vivid and terrifying. One which reveals that the same very dangerous tiefling man that Scriff is indebted to had also taken away 5e's prime protectee and executed the family in brutal fashion. Surprise, Pikachu. Though stunned into silence, Pawns, Fivey, and Scriff had little time to recover before Uzi and his father come in to reveal the Goblin Trump card. The Generation Ship, the Explodernator, has been lying dormant under the sand waiting for its time to rise once more. But even that's not all! Let's tell them what's behind door number two. That's right, Isbin Espa believes she can use the being's hand to break the barrier on the system itself, all of that gravity nonsense, which she believes is inside the drift itself. So she's going to need some time, time which no one has as the warship draws ever closer. So a plan is made. The second hand will assault the warship. It's a brilliant idea while the Explodernator takes to the skies to provide cover. But to do that, it's going to need upgrades. Yes. With rousing speeches from the crew, they whip the Wasties into a frenzy of work to get the generational ship up to task. Then, as the ground rumbles, the plan is set into motion. The Cyland warship, the God Scythe, takes the bait, and a giant battle in the sky begins, which allows the second hand to take flight and shoot their way through the chaos and land, crash landing style, on the target, but not before taking massive engine damage. On board, they are split up and railroaded by the GM into a chase sequence down a series of hallways while being pursued by killer drones. They break their way into a control room, which sports a large overhead monitor where the Cyland General Archduke Pathon 
awaited their arrival with only a few soldiers to do the dirty work. When those stormtroop, <clears throat> when those soldiers <laughs> were taken care of, the Archduke himself entered the fray via a hulking electronic storm mishmash avatar bursting through the screen to bring the pain. And so he did. Bringing low 5e and tearing into the crew, the battle was hard fought, with Swarkus taking massive hits, 5e dropping trick attack damage, pawns keeping the party alive, and Scriff hacking my freaking boss eventually into a chicken. Yes. Into a chicken! <laughs> eventually, Pathon's avatar is shattered to the floor below. The battered crew blazes out of the room to meet up with the other half of the team in the detention center. And lo and behold, a miracle. Not only were there a few surviving Gurugatal members to rescue, but the troll slog, mate of gludge, was held within. One montage later, and the second-hand ship blasts off and jets back to where Isbin waits to be picked up, only to find that S3 had come back for the rest of Isbin's arms. However, this time, not so lucky. As Isbin solos a boss and drags the corp onto the ship, claiming her kill, Pawns mashes go on the satellite's new program, and 5e blasts up towards space where the Explodinator, on its last legs, rises up, hoping that the unfathomable gravity that imprisons the planet will finally lift. The God Scythe locks on to the second hand for one last blast of its main cannon before 5e nat 20s the piloting check, does a right. barrel roll away from the blast and both the second hand and the Explodernator scream out into the drift. Woo. And that is how we got here today. All right. Yeah. Woo. Very nicely done. Took two whole seasons to get off of this dang planet. <laughs> I was having a good time. I mean, yes. The, I'm not saying that. Just saying. Two seasons. No one's disputing that we didn't have a good time. Yeah. What was the, the time frame? <laughs> what was the time frame that we were on this planet? Uh, roughly a month. There was a few times where you guys right. like took yeah, some sleep and you know that kind of thing. So took right a few about. days for ship repairs, probably four or five times. Long you know. enough for this place yeah. to not be new and exciting anymore. <laughs> the sheen has worn off this yeah. now desert planet. <laughs> okay, you guys get to talk for a while. Yeah, no, that was great. Now. Well done, Adam. That was a heck oh, of a recap. Yeah. I think. Where do we start? I the very beginning. I I just feel like season two was such a blast. Uh, like season one had its charm because it was a starting out and it was great. But like I feel like season two is where we really caught our stride as our like I, we got I to feel level like five. that too. <laughs> but I feel like I finally understand Scriff and his motivations and stuff. So I'm starting to really enjoy playing as the character and not trying to play as me playing the character, if that makes sense. Yeah, you've gotten into the role. You know, we've spent like just over a year now with these characters, which has been time for us to really get in their head. Like I have to get in the head of like 50 different people and that's definitely not helping me mentally, but I get what you're saying to be sure. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and I, I don't know about you guys, but uh, favorite scene easily for me, is when we were in 5e's mind and we uncovered the tiefling is the yeah. one that 
took your protectee, the same tiefling that is essentially a loan shark to Scriff. Yeah. It's a very yeah, scary loan shark. That was a like bone chilling good cutscene done by Adam. One of the best I've seen in a GM execute in decades oh, well, of thank gaming. Thank you very much. That's Wow, that's I, a I would huge agree. compliment. Thank you Absolutely. so much. Absolutely. <laughs> On that scene being incredible. I think my favorite moment in this entire podcast that we've had so far is the resolution though of Uzi as a character. And I just loved it because all of the characterization you thrown into him into season one, and then for him to not just show up in season two or, or stay with the party, but to like actually help uh, or have us help him regain his father's throne at the clan. Yeah. And have him be this like continued assistance for us in a way that felt kind of personal. I was like, I've never had an NPC that actually made that much of a difference in a campaign yeah. that was just so liked by the party that we're like, oh yeah, he can just stay. We're good with I this. I just really Love enjoy Uzi. that it's awesome. we've, we've established this clan of goblins as a mainstay mm-hmm. like character ally which Absolutely. is not something that I've ever gotten to experience. You know, goblins are always like the level one enemies that you fight that have no character to them. They're just there so that you can level up to level two. Uh-huh. But I love that we've incorporated them into the main plot. And now they have like a mega dreadnought ship and are flying around in space. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. It, and it's such a huge part of like our total journey being uh allies to an entire clan that is just so out there like no one's no one's gonna be able to predict oh yeah they're gonna have a giant mega ship filled with goblins that will just come to their aid if you know right well, we <laughs> if it's possible our very first enemy was the same space goblins, goblins that we're now yeah. allied with absolutely yeah and it really did kind of make me worry i know there was a point which um 5e and Uzi have sort of a terse exchange. And I was kind of convinced based on that conversation of like, oh, they're going to turn heel on us. We're we're going to have to exterminate these goblins. Uzi is going to revert to his basis nature. He's, you know, he was a tentative ally for a while. And now I think he's just going to end up being another opponent. And it didn't go that way. Yeah. It's actually neat to see that character grow and change and learn from what he watched us do. Mostly for the betterment of his character. <laughs> no, exactly. He, he would have had some character growth there too, because right, he was basically just watching his clan betray, uh, it, you know, his dad, the previous mega chief. So kind of his expectations there is like, you know, this is just what everyone does is they just yeah, portray yeah. and take advantage of people. And for that to kind of come to resolution, that was so cool. And we learned too that Uzi's father was somewhat of a outlier in goblins as well, mm-hmm. which is probably why Uzi is kind of more able to get with that side of logic and society because his father is you know, very open to this more elevated way of thinking and more democratic way of thinking, it seems. Yeah, it seems like he might have been exposed to other cultures a little bit more. Because, you know, the, the normal goblins, mm, goblins talk like this, like Uzi. But he comes in, he's like, oh, hello, thank you for allowing uh, me to come in. Got like some <laughs> Oxford training or something. <laughs> right. He was going for like the elevated ruler of Rome or whatever. His third PhD. 
and then got called back to be Mega Chief. Poet laureate of the <laughs> of the clan. Yeah, I think uh, I think moving kind of out of the clan, like after we kind of resolved that whole situation, learning the shenanigans you can do in this system, where we were able to build a submarine out yes. of parts that we found, <laughs> right? Like that was one of the coolest things, both visually and conceptually. D &D, no I'll, way. I'll double down on that. How many times? Because it was at least twice. How many times this season did we create makeshift like boogie boards, surfboards, wind blades of some uh -huh. kind? Found out how weapons five yeah. was on it. He should have been a pro <laughs> sportsman. Exactly. <laughs> Activate surfer protocol. Yes. Hanging ten initiated. <laughs> <laughs> now just imagine him in board shorts. That's great. <laughs> Yes, I want like vacation 5e with Hawaiian shirt and board shorts and just chilling well, on the he beach. He has to have, yeah, he has to have that fold out chair with the umbrella that yes. we referenced several times him kicking up. Uh -huh. Make this sort of fan art happen. I'll throw that out every time we have a ridiculous idea. It's just fan art. Just like a splotch, a splotch of uh, sunscreen on uh -huh. his on the uh, visor, LED <laughs> visor, right, right where the nose, nose would be. It sounds, it sounds like a uh, video game skin. Like here's the NR5 <laughs> beach right? version. Yeah, you have yep. to open up one of the boxes and get lucky. Uh huh. Yeah. Summer splash outfit. <laughs> Why are there jiggle physics in the options menu? Don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> not any of that. Uh, yeah. Speak for yourself. It's not good at all. <laughs> no, we're not going back to that, Jeff, and we're not going to talk about the poster anymore. <laughs> oh, the po wait, Gosh, what poster? We sold the poster this season. It, it was did. it was a hologram. I sold that. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, it Pons was a hologram, and Pawns found someone who is interested in unique goods to portray. <laughs> yeah, I was re-listening to the finale, and I got the part where we're all making our speeches, and Pawns just like straight up calls that dude out, trying oh, to like work goodness. in the crowd. It's like, hey, I see this guy Gary. I sold him some, uh, some, some, some vest smut <laughs> earlier today. It's, it's like. Okay, was, speaking of the oh speeches, though, I, I dropped that on you guys, and you all pulled it off beautifully. That was so fun to listen back to, just to, like, hear how you approached it so much in character. Like, you all approached it exactly how they would have done it, you know? Yeah. And it was beautiful to listen to. I felt bad listening to that. I wished I had rolled a much lower initiative. <laughs> you know, I feel yeah. I feel like Jeff and, and Cooper just just like to look to that, and we're just like gonna you know throwing their microphones across the room. But that made it so awkward and funny for them. They had like it a was. little conversation, like what what are we gonna do? We can't follow what that. Happens, what happens now? <laughs> that was that was too good. Adam, you have this strange ability to, even though this entire game is improv, have this strange ability to tell me I'm going to do improv and somehow now I'm nervous about it. Like, <laughs> oh, I hope I don't screw up this improv for this scene, even though uh -huh. I've been doing improv for the entire game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you had to come out and say a bunch of things as your character in front of the three of us as you have been. <laughs> well, improving, you know, to a, one or two NPCs and your party members is one thing. Improving to thousands of NPCs, you that's You gave Scriff crowd anxiety. Uh-huh. 
We'll just write that down on the character. That's, this is fortunately this isn't like fate where I have to write in my flaws and stuff, and you can play right, off uh, of them. Yeah, like honestly, as far as my favorite moments, I think it actually was that speech time. <laughs> like it was super cool, and Cooper, that was so funny. Yeah, I. <laughs> I think that moment, and then uh, if we're talking about like group roleplay moments, the conversation we had to have trying to figure out what to do with Swarkus as he was previously our enemy. And yeah. so we kind of all had these different perspectives and for us to, to come to the resolution of like, okay, hey, we're gonna give him the benefit of the doubt. His people are destroyed. And you know, if he's gonna be uh, the enemy of our enemy, then might as well use him. Yeah. And I think that was a good moment for character growth for Scriff as well, because I think he was seemed to be torn in that moment between this is someone who is a viable ally and we want the same thing and we should be working together, but I just really don't like him. Yeah. Like, that's the Punched vibe I got off of Jeff in the first yeah. conversation. <laughs> it hurt his feelings. It just it hurt my an apology. <laughs> that makes sense. It really does for Scriff. It hurt. And that. Uh, so I wanted I wanted to just bring up, and I'm curious what other people's thoughts are too. Like, what was your favorite personal roleplay moment? Because in in my mind, one of them was trying to sell the smut at the Goblins Den <laughs> for pawns. It was amazing. One of my yeah. favorite moments. Uh, and then my prediction about the creature being the vacuum at the bottom of the the ocean, oh, and, yeah. and it was totally a joke. It was it was you know in our five E and I were we're talking, and I was like, hey, or it's or it's a creature at the bottom, and it's creating this giant vacuum, and, and how how Richard roleplayed it was was so perfect because like yes, that's equally as likely just kind of shaking his head internally like there's no way that's going to be the case that can't be right yeah and three episodes right. later it was it's exactly right and i was like all right definitely right nailed it i thought the, re the reveal that we were inside the drift the whole time that this this solar system had just been like yeeted into the drift yes. <laughs> at some point was amazing because I know for a long time we went back and forth of like, are we in an alternate timeline? Did we travel through time? What shenanigans are we dealing with? And it was it was nothing that we guessed. I don't think you know. No, yeah, that's true. I mean, the whole I think first you guys season had said at least one time like maybe we're in a different plane of existence. Uh huh. And I'm like, ooh, ooh we're getting close here. Mm. Which is close, <laughs> but not a hundred percent accurate. I mean, the drift isn't considered a plane, is it? I think it is. Yeah, it really? is technically okay. a different plane that you just kind of pop into, jump, and then pop back out of. Yeah, it's non-Euclidean. Basically, yeah. It's blue-orange physics. <laughs> yeah, even that, we're, we're, we're still in some weird funky state because we escaped the planet by doing a drift jump. So it, yeah. it might still be in its own, like, separate... I'm going to use a Linux uh, uh, sysadmin term where it's uh -oh. in its own VLAN. It's mm -hmm. it's segmented from the rest of the drift. I was still trying to figure out how exactly that whole thing worked. It seems like that explained the gravity from when we were trying to exit the planet, right? Because we're hurtling right. through the drift. And so the gravity was increasing. Is that right, Adam? Something along those lines. You still okay. don't have like all the information, but as far as you could tell, judging by what Isben Espa had said when she was hopped up on that, um, the arm juice. Yeah, like this seems to be the system seems to be trapped 
within the drift somewhere in its own little bubble, and within that bubble, the gravity is doing weird shenanigans. Hmm, got it. And the question that I have, especially based on the way you worded the end of the recap, is are we even out of the drift? Because it seems like maybe we're not, and we've just sort of escaped this artificial pocket of gravity that was created by these ships around this planet, but really with the um, second hand and the SS Explodinator are still drifting through the drift. But maybe hmm. we're in the regular, the drift as we know it now. Right. We're going to find that out probably like very beginning of season three. Yes, we're going to yeah, have to find pretty out soon in the next season. Yeah. Uh, but I'm I'm super excited to follow up on the, the tiefling stuff because yeah. Scriff <laughs> is uh, sweating bullets right now with all of the ramifications of that. Yeah, it's, it's the first time that we've had sort of a among more than one player character a common enemy other than the immediacy of things trying to kill us. Right, you know, sure. We've definitely faced adversaries together, but we haven't had a nemesis. And that realization that we we are facing down the same nemesis, I think, is really neat. And the way that you know will drive certainly Scriff and Five E together. Right. And it'll be interesting to see how this nemesis escalates things because I think you know a good a good villain you want everyone to hate by the end yeah. of your story arc. <laughs> yeah. And I think we have really good reasons for hating this guy and Pons hates him start. out of sympathy for us, but it's not as personal and yeah, visceral it's an for adjacent him. Hate. Mm. What I'm getting at is I can't wait to see how Adam is going to crush Cooper's soul. That's oh. what I want. <laughs> oh, the plans I have. This guy is going to come up and just like just assassinate Pons's original. No, no, that makes me nervous, Richard. No, no, no. We're no. stopping that. That's I'm, not. I'm, that's my prediction. Is the the original uh, is also in bed with this tiefling somehow? Oh, man, I didn't oh, think my. about any sort of connections there. I think you know cloning processes don't sound cheap, and they don't sound easy. And this guy loves to stick his finger in those types of problems and twist the wound when things go bad. To get his, hmm. get, get his benefit out of yeah. it. Yeah. That's a bold prediction. That's my prediction. That would be scary, because that means I'd be working with him this whole time, not knowingly. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to take some notes. Really quick. <laughs> Don't worry about it. All right. Well, I think now that we've thrown some predictions out here, we're real excited to get into the next season. I Absolutely. think we will wrap up the recap right here. Thank you guys for listening. If you've stuck with us for a while, we love you. Thank you so much. Please keep hanging in there. We got a lot more fun stuff coming up. A lot more time I'm going to get to torture these guys. Yeah. So, yeah. And if you're just jumping in, same thing. A lot of torture. Just yeah. Season three's pleasure. up soon. Welcome to the space neighborhood. We've got a lot of surprises coming up. I'm not excited. And space popsicles. Oh, yeah. Delicious. Saka, we will freeze you. Popsicles. In the next <laughs> volume.